Lace up your boots and grab your mouth guards. It's time for the Rugby Wrap, the podcast about all things Western Force and the game we love. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Wrap. Nice to have you with us as we take a look at what's happening in rugby with the Western Force and the Super Rugby competition, the Rugby WA competition and other related news from around the world. My name is Mick Collis. Joining me as always, Wallaby 735, Mitch Hardy. Mitch, good to see you. Good to see you, Mickey. I'm a little bit exhausted this week. It's just been so busy. There's been rugby all over the world happening. It's major events. If you're Irish at the moment, you'd probably still be celebrating yeah. and drowning yourself in Guinness. Um, but yeah, it's it was a good weekend and some interesting results and plenty to talk about tonight. Yeah, it's been tough for the Irish coming off St. Patrick's Day and then into the Six Nations. They'll be, they'll be having a long recovery, I think. Guinness sales will be through the roof, Mickey. <laughs> through the roof. Yes, they would. You would. And look, you won't believe it, but Heath Tessman, he was given his new Rugby WA polo shirt today, size XL. Uh, he tried it on. It fit perfectly. So he's gone to swap it for size M. So hopefully he will be able to join us soon. So uh, we look forward to having Tess come come in once he gets back with his smaller, um, smaller polo shirt. But if you go to any rugby game, and every time the whistle is blown during the match, 50% of the crowd think it's the right decision and the other 50 think it's wrong. So one man who knows better than most what that feels like is current Super Rugby referee Graham Coop, and he joins us now. Coops, thanks for your time on the Rugby Wrap. No worries, gents. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Um, long, long time listener, first time caller, <laughs> as they say. Well, it's great to have you with us. Oh, you're, yep. you're the one. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we let Mitch Hardy loose, just a bit about your rugby background. How, how did you get involved and how have you ended up where you are today? Um, yeah, long. Uh, I'll try and keep it as short as possible, obviously. Um, I picked up the whistle at school to help out um, our, our younger age groups, sort of kept involved, just, just refereeing a little bit. Um, obviously still wanted to play and thought I was a, a better player than I actually was. Um, and then, funny enough, just, out, just after school, one Mitch Hardy employed me at Rugby WA as a lonely de- development officer back in the day. <laughs> um, so sort of worked in rugby for 15 years um, through multiple different roles. And then um, the, from the refereeing side of things, after about four or five years after school, realised I definitely wasn't a good player and sort of got tapped on the shoulder to pick up the whistle and and give that a crack. And and pretty much that's where I am now. So just worked my way through the pathway and uh, lucky enough to get an opportunity during COVID and sort of haven't looked back from there. Because what are, what are the rugby referee pathways? We talk a lot about player pathways. What are they for any budding referees out there? Um, yeah, so obviously um, through your own association or your competition, um, obviously working your way through the grades um, and then from there your association nominating you for national championships, so your 16s, 18s, 19s uh, national championships, and then from there being selected and, and showing your, your wares in those types of competitions. Um, and then a few exchanges over East um, to get in front of other people and, and in different environments and things like that. And then uh, pretty much from there is sort of building your repertoire or, or your toolkit um, so when you do get an opportunity that you're ready to take it with both hands and run with it, essentially, it's it's not the shortest of pathways unless you're a, an ex-player um, or a professional ex-player. I'll, I'll throw that. Um, it's quite a it's quite a journey. Um, I took to where so I to, was. to part to 
ex-players, are they fast-tracked, are they? Uh, yeah, so the Nick Berries, the Damon Murphys um, that are currently refereeing in our um, national panel um, are all ex, all, all ex-players and, and got fast-tracked through the pathway. I think Bez may have refereed four club matches before his first Super Rugby game. Wow. And how's that sit with people like yourself? Um, yeah, mate, it's always a difficult one. Um, I think it's uh, you understand why. Because um, what is what is the, what's the reasoning? Why what's the reasoning between about fast tracking those guys? Essentially, it comes down to um, obviously the person, but um, their game understanding. So Bez had played um, over eighty matches at a professional level for the Reds and overseas and and his game understanding is exceptional. So that's what allowed him to be fast-tracked. And I guess the the nuances around refereeing um, signals, decisions, law um, can be picked up pretty quickly. But that game understanding is mm. where referees through the pathway um, take the longest to develop. And how many refs are on that Super Rugby panel in Australia? Uh, so there's six of us yep. um, on-field referees and then a, a group of about four or five assistant referees that um, come along with us as well. And this week you've got the Reds-Rebels game? Yes. I believe. And and Damon Murphy and Jordan Kaminsky are the assistants. So Jordan's another local, local guy? Yeah. So Jordan, last couple of seasons, has been running touch in Super Rugby again got an opportunity during COVID where we couldn't fly anyone in and he's he's taken that with both hands and run with it. So this is actually his first game out of WA this weekend. So yep. um, good to see him out and about and and being rewarded for his hard work as well. Yeah, and, and again, it's great for the Rugby WA comp to have people like you and and Jordan around and, and you know, Jordan refereed the game uh, like he always does a club game. So, it's, but yeah, that I think that works out great. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Now, one of the reasons we got you on was we spoke last week about a new rule that's being introduced at the community level about tackling below the sternum, I think is the official term. So what do you think of that rule? And then, Mitch, I'll let you discuss with Coops why you don't like it. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Um, a little bit of a background from a, a Rugby Australia perspective. So we've endorsed lowering the tackle height um, but one one thing that we want to do before we roll it out uh, nationally in community rugby is actually do our own study or studies um, around what that tackle height should be and and whether or not in fact we have an issue in community rugby with tackle height so we've engaged Queensland Uni of Technology in a um, I guess first of its kind um, research project around tackle height. It's going to be done in Colts rugby this year. And it's actually using 360 degree cameras on the referee, um, obviously getting a better view and vision of the collision rather than from a camera 70 metres up mm. um, in the grandstand. And essentially how that's going to work is we're going to use artificial intelligence and continual learning in that program to be able to detect every collision we have and whether or not uh, there is either head on head or shoulder on head or 
or, or, or things like that. So um, hopefully from that data in particular around cults, we can then have a, our own version of a research project that's not an elite level. It's not done with elite players. Um, it's actually done in community football. And then from there, uh, go on, sorry. Yeah, and then from there we can make our own decisions. Um, we might not lower it um, at a Colts level or a Premier level. Um, we might lower it at under tens, where I'd say ninety percent of our coaches are still coaching them low route tackle technique anyway. So is it actually an issue? And that's what we want to find out from a Rugby Australia perspective. Okay. So, Mitch, that might almost answer your question because last week you were saying you've got to start at that under 10, under 12 level. Yeah, I, I think you've got to start in the junior level with any sort of pilot program or trial period. But I think to get – I kind of agree with Coops. You've got to get the research right and you've got to get the application of it right. So, um, you know, if, if you start at the top, top level with those sort of things, coaches are really quick to adapt – and all of a sudden, you'll end up with blokes bent over, running into contact, and you'll you'll actually cause havoc with the way the game's played. And you know the the whole contact element in the game. I understand they're trying to and the whole, I guess, sanctions around body height at tackle are really important. I like the idea that if the the tackler hasn't made an effort to bend into the contact element, then they're getting a, a lot more harshly sanctioned for not being responsible um, but I think the education and the longitudinal stuff needs to start at junior level because if you don't if you don't start that education process where when players are young and then coaches who are coaching young kids don't get it right that's when you end up with those bad habits down the track I mean so Australia, Australia rugby went through that whole period where we were the the in thing was to employ leagues as defense coaches so all these leaguey defence coaches were teaching blokes how to tackle like a leaguey, which is upright, hitting with the sort of the peck part of the shoulder to get maximum impact, um, which in turn has caused a whole heap of issues around head contacts in the sport. So you've got to uncoach that and untrain all that. And to apply it at senior level, I think it's really complicated and unruly because at the end of the day, you've also got to be fair on the people who are adjudicating this stuff, and that's the referees out in the middle. And in a community rugby game, they don't have the advantage of TMOs and replays and all that sort of stuff. They've got to make a call on the fly. And if someone accidentally gets clipped in the head, okay, well, it's going to be havoc um, because players aren't going to get it right all the time and the referees aren't going to get it right all the time. But if you can start at a bit more of a junior level to apply this stuff, I think you, you'll get some change management and you'll start to, you know, be part of the intent of the whole process is to lower the tackle height and protect players' heads, you've got to start at the junior level. And it'd be, in my view, it's a lot easier to implement things at junior level than it is at seniors where you've got old habits with old heads. Mm. Yeah, exactly right. And I think the, the other thing around that is um, from a pathway perspective and obviously a, a performance side of things is if you start implementing change at, let's say, a shoot shield or a premier rugby level here, it actually impacts what product or player that a super rugby team will pick up. And yeah. ultimately what's going to happen is the professional side of the game is not going to change. They, they won't implement a lower tackle height in the next World Cup cycle at least. Mm. So it's actually detrimental to our pathway as a playing group to 
implemented at uh, Colts 1, second grade and premier grade level because hopefully in four years a Colts player is potentially getting selected in a Wallaby squad. So um, we have to start at juniors if we want to have change anyway, in my opinion. Mm. So, so Coops, you're saying, so Rugby Australia is doing a, a study and, and if that study doesn't prove anything, that they won't adopt that new below the sternum rule. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. At least we'll have our own data that we can make our own decisions because the, the data that we've received is 95% of it is from the elite game or, or semi-professional, mm-hmm. and that's not reflective of our community rugby participants. So we want to get some data. And the good thing about the AI technology is the ability then to utilise the program further down the chain. So it will be easier then to just record uh, an 18s, a 16s, a 14 season, for example, run it through the program and get instant data. Hmm. And that's the that's the positive thing around that. In, in two years' time or 18 months, we can have a huge sample group of participants within our game to give us a really good understanding of whether we make the decision or not. Hmm. Now that makes sense. Because what's the ruling at the moment? Because when it, when it comes to head clashes in Super Rugby, because we saw um, Western Force prop Tom Robertson, he got concussed in the match against the Highlanders on the weekend as a result of a of a head clash when he was carrying the ball, but no no cards were given. There was no penalty. So what is the ruling? Um, so I'll I'll come back to that um, because we we have had a, a group discussion as a referee group around that decision this week and I'll and I'll clarify that in a minute. But ultimately, what we want the the defending player to do is attempt to bend their knees and their hips into the collision. Um, and in doing so, we can then use our mitigating factors, whether it's a drop of height in the ball carrier or change of direction and things like that. As soon as the attacking, uh, the defending player, sorry, is upright and doesn't show that bend in their knees or their hips, mm-hmm. they're in a world of hurt. Mm-hmm. Is is the best way to put it. Um, going back to the the collision um, on Tom Tom Robinson on the weekends, um, from a review process, we deem that that most probably met yellow card threshold, um, and the reason why is. The Highlanders player was bent at the knees. Yeah, but not but he, at the hip. But not at the hips. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, in our review call, we we had a pretty robust discussion around that because the tackler's knees were actually on the ground or close to the ground when he made contact. Yeah. But he, was, he still put himself in that upright position and therefore it should have and with enough force that it should have been a yellow card. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, okay. That, that's good. That makes sense. Now, we had a question from Twitter. I'm not sure if he's listening, but Jason Sherman wants to know, why is it so hard for referees to be consistent with the breakdown? Now, you might think that you oh, are consistent. Breakdown. I'm hating the breakdown at the moment. Coops, you're going to have to sort this one out. <laughs> I, I'm I'm with him because what I'm seeing, and, and I reckon the lion's share of heartache around the breakdown, is players actually not getting the ball up off the ground but if they get a hand on it, they're getting rewarded for holding on. Um, 
And it used to be that if you had your hands on it and the ball was up and you actually won that contest on the ground, you got rewarded for that. But now it just appears if you can get a hand through the ruck somehow, get a hand on the ball and say, holding on, sir, holding on, sir, you're getting a penalty. So have you guys had a discussion around that? Because there seems to be a complete lottery around turnovers at the breakdown at the moment. And I think that's probably where that comment's coming from, Mick. Yeah. Yeah, and and funny enough, not this week, but the previous week, we had, we, we had a, a discussion around it. Is we haven't been looking at the clear lift. So in our critical few around Super Rugby, so we have a, a, a list of things that we should be pretty hard on um, mm-hmm. to create that consistency. And one thing that we didn't start very well in the Super Rugby season this year was um, players showing the clear lift on the ball and we're actually rewarding a lot of players wrapping their arms around the player on the ground and then using one hand to win the ball and just clamping on is what we refer it to. And so hopefully over the next two, three, four weeks or the rest of the season, you see a little bit more consistency around us seeing two hands on ball, clear lift to be rewarded in that scenario. So. And yeah, it goes back to the old adage where they, they used, the referees used to have that theory that you let the ruck breathe for a little bit to actually see if the guy clearly won the contest. And you got that sort of one, two sort of breathing, let the, the, the thing unfold. The guy lifts the ball and then you go, yep, you've actually won that contest. I'm rewarding you. Whereas yeah. it, it seems to be really instantaneous and quick. And I can't recall the game on the weekend, but there was one game there that was just penalty after penalty after penalty. And there was barely a lift like it was just relentless and I think that's where some of the frustration comes in and the smart back rowers play to that like they get all over it and they just get a hand in there and go sir yeah and that yeah it's something that we we need to get better at and because ultimately if we don't we actually lose the continuity in the game as well because like you just mentioned Mitch is you just go from penalty to penalty rather than allowing a a contest, which in our game we should have at every phase. Or you just change the law together and just give a free kick instead of a straight arm, mate, and they'll just play on. Everyone just takes a quick tap and plays on. No one's got time to win. (laughs) (laughs) And then speaking of of lotteries, um, with collapsed scrums, is that a a gut feel or can you actually see who's infringed? Have you talked um, to the cues there, Coops? What do you what are your cues you're looking for? Um, so, mate, the, I think the thing that we've seen this year in particular, we've actually had better outcomes at scrums this year, and um, I think a contributing factor to that is the implementation of the break foot. Yes. Um, talk, yeah, yeah. Talk to us about that. Talk to us the, about that. The reason being is so they've implemented the break foot, so the hooker having to keep their foot in front um, and essentially control the weight during the engagement sequence so we're not leaning too far across the mark and into the the opposition front row. Mm -hmm. And what we've actually realised is because the hooker has to keep their foot up, the height of our scrums are actually higher than they were previously and... From that, we're actually getting our props with their feet underneath them more often, their shoulders in line with their hips, if not above their hips, um, on setup. So we are getting better outcomes. To your comment, um, Mick, around do we know what we're looking for? 
Mate, we spend a bloody long time watching scrum after scrum after scrum. We 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 back ourselves to be pretty good and accurate at at who causes the collapse. Um, so I guess in that key things for us, if I look at the tight head, for example, um, angle, feet underneath their hips and arm off the shoulder or, or their bind off the shoulder or the arm of the loose head in front of them. Mm-hmm. Um, loose head is more often than not their shoulders are below their hips if there's an issue. So making sure that their their shoulders are in line, if not above, again, their angle. Um, and then their elbow up or pointing to the grandstand is the is the perfect picture for us. We're not saying that we'll penalise them if their elbow is pointing to the ground, but more often than not, when the elbow points to the ground and it ends up there, um, yeah. more often than not, it's because they've dragged it there, unfortunately. Okay. Um, yep. and so then, there is... There is science to it. Yeah, you could call it science. Yeah, yeah. So, the, so what I'm seeing at the moment, Keith, the two most common penalties are for either someone pancaking, so ending up flat on their face, legs out the back, yep. and, and or hinging. So someone's bent at the hips. As you say, their elbow's probably gone to the ground and they've completely just hinged. But how do you determine whether someone's hinged on purpose to pancake their opposition or whether or not, the, the props legitimately lost his feet and ended up in a pancake position which, because the guy, the opposition player hasn't given him the, the resistance or the weight, in which case he's sort of pushing on nothing, so he ends up pancaking. How do you, how do you get that determination? Because that, to me, seems to be where these props, if we can call them intelligent, seems to be playing a little bit. There you get well, that gamesmanship. Their gamesmanship comes into it. And by the way, Mickey, Heath Tessman has missed out on the best episode oh, of the year. <laughs> I know. He was talking about scrums. I know. It'll be filthy. It'll look good, but it'll be filthy. Yeah. I think it comes down to, so we we do a lot of, um, I guess, analysis on where and who goes forward when it collapses. So, so for example, if a, if a tight head has their feet too far back and they're the ones pancaking, um, they won't actually go through the mark. Yep. Actually good. pancake straight down where... Yep. If a if a um, a loose head hinges or their elbow to ground, more often than not, the 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 tight head could be in in good in good position. And due to that, I guess hinge, they actually go through the mark and then pancake. Yeah. So it it's really on where they go from the midline of the scrum. So normally a hinge, the tight head will go through it. Yep. And the loose head's ass is pointing to the sky. Yep. And um, is that where you is that where you're relying on the assistant referee to really give you that clear picture as to who's gone through the mark and who hasn't when you're making that quick quick moment decision? Yeah, mate, we put full trust in our ARs to make those decisions. So if we're yep. not standing on that side, we've done enough work with those um those ARs to to give us those live calls because it's one yep. of those things if they don't give it to us live, we then have a reset scrum we then have another one. We could have the same issue, but on the the opposite side. So it's one of yeah. those things that we want to be in decision-making mode to keep the game moving rather than guessing in a way as well. Yeah, no, it's good. That's, that simplifies it right, really easily for the punter, I reckon. 
Yeah, I like it. And then, do you, as referees, do you get do you get reviewed after each game? Yeah, big time. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's called Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> by, by the six thousand people at the ground, yeah. yeah. seconds after the match. Um, no, but we have a pretty robust um, review process. So we'll review, watch our game. Um, we've got sports code, which we then cut all our clips. So penalties, non-decisions, scrums, lineouts, lineouts to malls, interactions with players. Um, and then within 36 hours, we have to come up with a playlist to then send to the super rugby coaches. So the player coaches mm-hmm. um, around our right decisions, wrong decisions, trends in the game, things that we might have missed that they most probably should have been penalised for or vice versa um, with the other team. So we want to be pretty open and honest um, in that review because ultimately if we're not, they're just going to come back with the clips that we've missed anyway. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, there's a bit of that honesty and we have that that dialogue throughout the week with the, the team coaches and then – we have our specific referee coaches that we work with. There's one in New Zealand and and Mitch Chapman here in Australia that we would pretty much go through every decision from start to finish. Yeah, right. Critique it, wrong, right, non-decisions, and then we go through because a lot of what we're marked on at, at Super Rugby level is interactions, sell of decisions, TMO interaction. So it's it's more of the soft skills and the technical um aspects and, and were you there's this probably been changes with less reliance on the tmo and and all that sort of stuff this year was there a direction from like i do you feel under pressure to try and keep the game going more um mate not not really um ultimately it's come from the players and the coaches um through shape of the game meetings back in the last year and what we found is the players have actually bought into it so they're actually making our job a whole lot easier. Um, they're at the scrum, they're at the line out, they're ready to go. The, the kickers have changed their routines over the off season. Yep. So they're actually like a, a 60 second penalty kicker goal now has taken a, a kicker 40 seconds to kick on average. Yep. Um, yep. 90 seconds for a penalty shot at, uh, at a conversion. Majority of the kickers are kicking that within 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've really bought into the the speed of the game and it, it sort of allows us just to crack on and referee how we we normally would, really. Yep. Um, yep. The, T, the TMO stuff, we've done a lot of work with our TMOs around it, so they can come in at yellow card threshold or higher. Um, so, and it's most probably more around the red card threshold, like just under a red card where we're a bit iffy that they'll come in. And ultimately, we trust them that when they come in, um, we are dealing with a serious act of foul play. And those replays that we see, because we're only allowed to see them twice, we're pretty confident that we're at that level and we can make a strong decision. And we put them on the off-field review and then the TMO picks the, whether it's then stays in yellow or then gets upgraded. Yeah, okay. That's good. And then just getting back to something Mitch Mitch was talking about the, with the Twitter and the 6,000 people at the ground. Can you actually hear people like Mitch Hardy yelling out from the sideline? 
He knows my voice, especially, <laughs> especially at Cottesloe when he's referring to Bias Hoskins. <laughs> Very distinct. Um, mate, at, at, a, at a big venue like HBF or, or one of the stadiums, it, it sort of becomes white noise. We have, we have earpieces in that actually pick up a lot of external noise that it pretty much becomes just a buzzing sensation yeah, in okay. the majority of the match. Yeah. Um, where it, where you do hear it is at club footy is, yep. and that's uh, sort of Peanut. some of the battle peanuts. That, uh, peanuts like me sledging him. Because <laughs> yeah. how do you, how do you block that out? Um, mate, it, it it comes down with a yeah a bit of experience, a bit of resilience, um, and and actually understanding that what you're doing is right. Where where some referees fall into the trap is they start listening to those comments because they think that that's gospel or, or what they're saying is correct. Made a lot of the stuff that people yell at us is completely wrong. So yeah. <laughs> it's building it's building our referees to be able to back themselves at the decisions that they're making are more often than not the right ones. Yep. Um and just building a little bit of a little bit of that resilient resiliency. But on the other hand, we're also working with them to when it when people overstep the line, um, that we have to deal with that as well. Yeah. Okay. And look, and before we let you go, we hope you've got a long career ahead of you. But what's been your highlight so far as a referee? Um, I think going through the the twenty seventeen Women's World Cup was was a cool experience. Um, but I don't think anything could go past a, a Super Rugby debut or a Test match debut. Um, I guess that's what you do it for. Is is referee in that environment. Um, it took a bloody long time to get there. So when when you do get there, um, it's pretty special. Um, so, yeah, I think Super Rugby debut and then Test Match debut and then the next one for me, hopefully down the track, is a, a Tier 1 test at some point. So mm-hmm. that's sort of the, the progression. And then who knows what happens after that. No. And and Coops, like a lot of players go and ply their trade overseas. Is there an opportunity for you as a referee to go do that? Or do you try and stick with your, your Sansa sort of affiliations? Um, most probably in the last eight months, there's been more appetite to um, go abroad and, and obviously be seconded into competitions and, and get mm-hmm. games. It's been a very closed door in whatever competition you you're a part of. Um, a lot of competitions sort of ring fence their referees because they're scared that consistency is going to be an issue. And yeah. ring fencing your referees allows potential um, better consistency. Um, but like, but it's, but it's not good for the growth of the referee. Like, imagine if you went and refereed um, in the the Premier League in the UK or the French mm. top four. I mean, the French top 14 might be a bit challenging. You'd have to yeah. test your French a bit. But um, even just, you know, being exposed at Six Nations where you've got that week-in, week-out test match rugby in, the, in a in environment at six, six Nations, which is a different style of rugby, surely yeah. being in that environment helps to improve your game just like it would a player. Oh, 100%. Like, yeah. and, and ultimately, if we don't start moving around and doing – different games in different environments. When you get to world rugby level, you take longer to adapt. Um, so I think there's going to be, I think post this World Cup, there might be a bit more appetite for that. Um, yeah. And hopefully 
the mythical alignment of calendars um, yeah. will, will help us do that as well. But yeah. um, we're sending blokes up to Japan to referee um, A-League up there. Yeah, good. We've got referees refereeing in MLR and things like that. So it's happening. We just need to do more of it. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thanks, Coos, mate. Look, congratulations on what you've achieved so far. Uh, good luck for the rest of the year, and thanks for your time on the Rugby Wrap. Can mm-hmm. I ask you one more question, Mickey? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who do you think's the top two teams so far after four rounds, Coops, in Super Rugby? Who would you put as one-two at the moment from what you've seen so far? Mate, I think um, I think the Blues and the Chiefs are the teams to beat. Um, mate, I'd on their day, I don't think any team will beat the Blues. Um, and the Chiefs made it pretty dangerous as well. I don't think the Crusaders will be – well, they'll be in the, the finals contention, but they won't be – they won't compete in the final. And that's my thought right now. And our leading team is the Brumbies. I think they're they're starting to perform quite well and, and, and gel as a unit. It'll be interesting with their change in team this week. They've got, I think – five or six um, changes in their starting team. So Mm. against the Crusaders in New Zealand. So we'll we'll see how they compare. um, Mm. Well, then I've got to ask one more question now before before we go. So is is there a team you like refereeing and one you don't like refereeing? Oh. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, UWA doesn't like refereeing. (laughs) Or you can say West. You could say West. (laughs) That would really get up Rangi's nose. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, not really. I think I think they all bring about their different challenges. So, like, man, strapping yourself into a Fijian Drua game when they're on fire and the ball's going everywhere is pretty special. Um, yep. But we also do what we do to get get put in those, I guess, those, those games that it's a bit of a grind and it, it tests us and and our skill set and things like that. So um, my 96-point game, Moana v the Brumbies on the weekend, was was awesome to ref because the players just wanted to play. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are the mm. Rebels and Reds going to give me that same <laughs> game, game style? Who no, knows? Possibly not, um, yeah. But the challenges is what we do at full, mate. So that I'm not going to be diplomatic and say there isn't really a thing. All right. I thought that might be the answer. But, look, mate, that's great. We do appreciate your time. I'm sure the listeners will um, – that was very insightful. So, mate, thank, thanks very much for joining us tonight. No, no drama, so we'll see you around. We'll do Good luck on the weekend. Take care. Thanks, yeah. Coops. Go see well. you, mate. Cheers. So that was Graham Cooper, Super Rugby referee, and uh, that's great to have a you know young fella that's we've been able to watch from from Perth getting across there and now on the big stage. It's great. Yeah, and it's hard Yakko refereeing, Mick. I mean, I know they a bit, and I, I give him a bit of stick from time to time, but it is it's a hard gig. I mean, I I was refereeing some oldies the other weekend up here in Darwin for a bit of fun, and I found that really hard, you know. So <laughs> you know, and this is going at half rat pace. So it's yeah. it's. Um, and you're dealing with 30 professional athletes in the thick of it, trying to tear tear each other apart. And you've got to try and manage a good spectacle for the punter who's watching it on telly and there at the ground. Yep. And that, that game you refereed on the weekend was a cracker. It was a joy to watch. There was tries going everywhere. It was free-flowing. Um, 
it was really well managed. And, and there was other games on the weekend, as I mentioned before, that were quite tough to watch because yeah. the referee just was just overzealous with the whistle and not letting the game breathe a little bit. So it, it is a tough gig and you're in there for the long haul, these referees. It's, um, but, you know, they've got a real passion for it and Coops has been chipping away at there for a long period of time. Mm. And it's great, great to hear about young Jordan Kaminsky. I, I'll give that kid a big rap because... You know, even his performances last year at the start of season were a bit scratchy in the local Perth comp. And by the end of the year, he was one of the best referees in the comp. And I think he won referee of the year last year um, in the premier grade. So good to see a young kid like that getting opportunities as well. Yeah, yeah it's fantastic and great for Coops to give us some time and, and to hear what he had to say. So we're looking at the Super Rugby competition and the results from last week. So starting with the force, they went down 43 to 35 to the Highlanders. Now, I don't normally shout at the TV, but I did that day. And as a Force fan, that was a very frustrating game to watch. Well, they, they kind of – they could have won that game, Mickey. I, I can't I can't think of the exact moment of the game, but it was sort of 23-20, maybe around that half-time period. And we just sort of let the game just slip away. And it just slipped away from us. We just seem to be – our kicking just seems to be aimless. Yeah, well – Too often. Uh, yeah, I've got to be careful what I say here, but I don't think we have a very good kicking game at all. And I know Bryce Hegarty is the man at the moment, but I was critical when he was at the Reds around his kicking game. He's got a very much a pop gun kick. It's not long distance. He hasn't got a big hoofy boot like a Reese Hodge or any of those guys. It's very... You know, it, we, we struggle to get our own half through the boot of Bryce. We need a second kicking option that's not a box kicking nine hmm. that goes long and can yeah. get us out of trouble and just, get us up yeah. the other end of the field. We just yeah. seem to be constantly, every time we put points on the board, we're just trapped in our own half again because we can't exit. Can't get out. Yeah. And yeah. it's just, yeah, it was just driving me nuts. And discipline yeah. again was an issue in the areas. But the big talking point was the yellow card to the Highlanders, number 10, Mitch Hunt. Um, when he tried to do that, well, he wasn't in a position to to catch an attempted intercept. Uh, Bale Kunzel tried to pass to Tony Pula with the line mm-hmm. wide open. So apparently Justin Marshall and Jeff Wilson, former All Blacks, have come out and said that the Western Force were hard done by. That should have been a penalty try. Uh, your thoughts on that one? Yeah, well, that's normally the way the rule applies. If if there's any chance of the try being scored in the, in the process of um, foul play or you know, in transgressing like he did and you get a yellow card, it results in a penalty try. So the only thing that could have possibly saved him was whether or not there was another player in close proximity that could have stopped it from being a try if that pass had gone to hand. Hmm. Um, And that's what they were saying is that there was a very unlikely chance of another player stopping that try. So, yeah, look, it is is what it is. I still don't think we played well enough to win that game, regardless of the outcome of that. And I don't Um, think he, he didn't even actually need to throw the pass. See, no. He had so much space on his outside, and that hunt was yeah. in between the two of them. Like it, uh, yeah, it yeah. just when you, I mean, look, obviously the game happens at a lot quicker pace, and we yeah. watch it on TV. But he seemed to have a lot of space between himself, Hunt, and that touchline. So, and then George Pullman, he should be made to run an extra twenty laps after training mm. just for that tip tackle. Like that's you know when you put your team under pressure by when you're a player down mm. for a rule like that. That everybody knows that's it's been in place. It's, it's been in place for a while now, and and you'll notice, Mickey, there's very few people getting penalised for tip tackles these days because yeah. everyone, knows everyone knows the consequence. And like yep. as, 
you know when you've taken a bloke past your horizontal, what's happening. So you got to try and mitigate that as yep. best you can. But he went right through with it. I mean, it's and it was a complete oh, brain fade. Because <laughs> it was one-on-one. Like, it's not like he was even in a situation where there are other bodies around and it became a bit awkward. Like, it was a one-on-one. And you think, my God, why? why? So that was frustrating. But on a positive yeah. note, um, Gareth Simpson, we didn't even know about him before last oh, week. Where's he come from? Come from the, the UK? Saracens uh, been in. On live from Worcester, Saracens. Worcester, yeah, well, yeah, he's, he's going back to Saracens. He's going back right to Saracens. This yeah. year, so he's We're on like a season. little three-month loan. So, yeah, so, but he, yeah. he was very good. So I'm not sure yep. what happened to, is, if Ian Pryor's injured or or mm. what happened, but um, Simpson, was he was great. Set up that, that um, Zach yeah. Kibariki try with that nice little kick. Yeah, no, he's a good quality nine, and um, probably I, I, I don't begrudge the force bringing a player like that if he's available. But um, there was a young kid, and his name escapes me at the moment, that they recruited from Sydney, who played the early season trial games, um, yep. who looked oh, who I looked half yeah, decent. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he's it was Harry, maybe Harry, somebody or other. Um, but yeah, we, he hasn't been seen. I don't know where that kid is. Um, hmm. What's happened to him? Whether they got injured in the preseason or or what? But um, yeah, he's just disappeared, and this Gareth Simpsons Simpsons popped up, rocked in, and yeah. acquitted himself pretty well. Yeah, and again, it's all about taking opportunities, and he he certainly yeah. took it. And then Tim Anstey, I thought he was great when he came on. Would you start uh, him? Of course, you would. He's been yeah. our best forward the last few weeks. I don't even know why. He was I wonder what the bench. thinking. Yeah, I wonder what yeah. thinking was behind that. So yeah, and then and he was good, and he was good again when he came on. Hey, yeah, fantastic. And then yeah. um, the last thing, the the Bailey Kunzel. Misconversion on full time, almost front of the post. So that cost them the bonus point. Is that right? Yep. So uh, again, I that's unforgivable. Surely, when you're a if um, if you're a kicker, and that was gettable. It wasn't a, something from the sideline. It looked like he rushed it, and I don't know why he rushed it. But I don't know. Don't know. Maybe maybe he thought there was still time on the clock to run back to halfway and score again. Yeah, don't know. But that was that uh, was just oh, more disappointed than unforgivable. But you know, you got to get those ones, especially. You know, you, you can't afford to leave points behind when they're gettable points. So that yeah. was a disappointing way for them to finish up those couple of quick tries under pressure. Then in the other games, uh, the Reds, 27 against the Drewer, 24. Uh, yeah, that was a cracking cracking yeah, game, that game. one. Yeah, good game. really enjoyed that. The Drewer were a little bit off the pace, I thought. They, were, they almost had a little bit of a hangover from their win the week before. They weren't as vibrant. Yep vibrant with the ball in hand as they had been the previous week. So, But the Reds grafted it out for a, a pretty good win there, I thought. Got away and with then, that one. And then as Coops mentioned, the game he had, the Brumby 62, Moana 36. I was watching a bit of that on the they had it on the big screen down at um, UWA. And yeah. That it was, was a tri-fest. Uh, tri-fest. Just couldn't believe how yeah. many points were being scored. Moana, but... Moana were just giving it to the Brumbies and the Brumbies went, oh, hang on. Yeah. But the, the Brumbies, to their credit, scored some very nice set-piece tries. Um, some beautiful yeah. plays, yeah. Really a, nice. few, a few rolling mall tries, I think I saw yeah, in the highlights did. package yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, and then the Chiefs, 44, dispatching the Rebels, 25. Another good game. I I was – mate, the Rebels played some really good footy in that game, Mickey. <laughs> I know again, I wrote them off. Mitch Hardy quote there? Yeah, the Rebels played yeah some good I know footy. I wrote them off, but they played some really nice football on the weekend, and um, they're on the improve. Well, they still didn't win, so you kind they of... They still didn't win, but they're on the improve. You're, you're okay. And then the Hurricanes did the Waratahs' miserable start to the season, winning 34 points to 17. Yeah, Waratahs... Trouble in Tartown? Absolutely, mate. They're going to be gunning for them soon. You watch. They, they, if they have a couple more days like that, you watch that Sydney Club Mafia, they'll be after them. <laughs> Darren, Darren Coleman will be all right. 
I, I'm not blaming Darren Coleman, but I think there's some players in that team that are under underperforming. Got to go. Yeah, they're the underdogs. They're the underdogs. And then in what was a cracking game was the Crusaders 34, Blues 28. That could have been a final. That was just oh, yeah. such so high-quality rugby. Yeah, it was fantastic, wasn't it? And that the try of the the try of the weekend was that try that Mark Talia scored, where he met about he beat about eight blokes. Yeah, yeah, um, and scored a try. It was just fantastic footy. Um, but yeah, the Crusaders. It was a real grafted performance from them. Um, and the Blues could probably count themselves a little bit unlucky. They they had every opportunity to win that, I thought. But the Crusaders just were able to hang on, hang in there, and get the chocolates, which they'll be very pleased about. Yeah, no, real high-quality game. And then this week, week five of Super Rugby. So Friday night, the Crusaders up against the Brumbies. That'll be a cracker. But the five Brumbies, as um, Coops was mentioning, are being rested. So mm. James Slipper, Rob Balatini, Pete Lamont, Nick White and Tom Wright, they'll all sit out under Australian Rugby's um, resting policy, the World Cup resting promising, uh, policy. But yeah. do we need do we need that? I mean, is it? It's. I don't think it's no, fair. We don't. I don't think it's fair to the fans for a start. It's not, it's not fair, fair to the, to the Brumbies. <laughs> not fair to the Brumbies. And yeah. Super Rugby is not a long season. Like the NRL's got twenty-seven rounds. We've yeah. got Super Rugby's got what sixteen? Yeah, if, if that. And then yeah. and then the World Cup. There's probably you know eight eight games maybe. So I just can't see why we've got to implement this rotation policy and rest policy in Super Rugby. Yeah, and I think it, it should be left to the, the franchise. If they want to rest a, rest a player, it should be left to the franchises as well. Um, like, I think the Brumbies have got good depth and they'll probably cope with it. Um, the Western Western Force won't have to worry about it um, mm. because they don't have any wallabies. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, the yeah, like you would have liked to thought a game against up, up against the Crusaders, that's a top-of-the-table yeah, clash. top-of-the-table clash, you, yep. you want your best players on the field, wouldn't you? And, and, yeah, I just think it's for the fans that want to see those guys and think, well, okay, we're paying good coin for not second-rate players, but when your top ones, they're not injured, they're just out because they're having a rest. I just think that's crazy. But if there's some good news out of that, um, there's a bloke, he's 33, Pedro Rolando's his name. He plays for the Royals down at the ACT. So he's on the bench. Um, He's been at the Royals for about 10 years. He's one of the start of that John Dent Cup. Led the rules to a number of premierships, so he'll be Brumby number two fifty three if he gets on versus the Crusaders. So, you know, for every um, every dart out, there's a silver lining, and for a bloke like that, great reward, and hopefully that he does actually get on against the Crusaders. What a, a great way to make your Super Rugby debut! Yeah, no, fantastic, and and again, this is going to test the Brumby's depth, and I wouldn't be surprised if some of those blokes really step up to the plate because they've got a, just a good system there that they can have that faith in the depth and the faith in the uh, the, the new players that have come into it. And um, good on them for using the opportunity to blood a few new blokes. Hmm. And then the Waratahs up against the Chiefs. Again, the um, Waratahs got belted last week. So Darren Coleman's made seven changes to his starting 15. Oh, he's um, wielded the axe, has he? Well, no, all due to injuries. I think they all picked up oh, seven injuries God. during the, the Hurricanes game. So Waratah's <laughs> up against the Chiefs. That's not going to be easy for him again, is it? No. The only thing going on Waratah's favour there, it's a Friday night in Sydney. Yeah. That's, that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah. And then on Saturday, the Highlanders up against the Drua and Moana up against the Hurricanes. And then the Rebels up against the Reds. And Tom Liner, he's out with concussion protocols. Uh, apparently, Vunavalo also, I heard, was set to miss the game after cramping up against the Drua and he didn't finish the game. So uh, a couple of little injury concerns for the Reds. But I think, as Coop said, it might be a bit more of a grind 
in the uh, than the Moana yeah. Brumby game that he had I on the weekend. And then on Sunday morning, of course, the Western Force up against the Blues, 10.35. Sunday morning, is that going to be a bloodbath? Yes, Mick. <laughs> Do you think it will? You never know. You just never know. But Jesus, you, I looked. I was looking through the Blues' potential backline this afternoon, and I'm just going, "Wow!" Like you're yeah. just going, if they cut loose, yeah. And I, but you know, to the forces' credit, I think they might have a couple of changes coming in for this weekend. So they might have to Simon Cron, the coach, might have to change up a couple of positions. Yeah. You just game like that. You just got to go the distance against the Blues. You can't let them get away with a 20, 30 point start. No, no. You're going at a half time. You've got to stay with him. You've got to go toe for toe with him and make it a bit of a grind and you slow the game down because if you let them play at their pace and just have the run of the ball, mm. you you could be in for a long day. And long and especially day. if especially for the force if they play um, look, they can play well in phases, and I think that they they can they could be a good yep. side. But the, the discipline that we've spoken about for the last twelve months, and the errors that they make against a team like the Blues, if they make that same amount of errors and that same discipline problems, it it could get very ugly because they will punish everything that the Western Force gives them. They will punish. Yep, and they're a lot more ruthless these days to the Blues with guys like Bodie, um, Bodie Barrett there running at 10, Christie at 9. Um, you've got the back row with the guys like Satutu that'll that'll hang out a little bit wider. Papalihi, very good at the breakdown. You've got a good solid type 5 there uh, with the Blues and then you've got the firepower out wide and it's just ridiculous the firepower yeah. they've got at the it's moment. A, yeah, with, it's a good side. But um, yeah, we'll just see but, how they go. But yeah, anyway, I think, good I test think, for know, them. It's a great test, and I think I think the Blues might go in thinking that it's that they will win it. So I think I think yeah. the Western Force it's a chance for them. Look, they, I think they they could cause an upset if they get their if they do things right, they could cause an upset. But as I said, if they give away the ball and dumb penalties, that's going to be a really long afternoon for them. Yeah, great. Let's hope, let's hope they can uh, just get things right. So then turning to on also um, Super W. Starts this week. So on Friday night, the Western mm. Force up against the Waratahs, which would be great. And on Saturday, the draw against the Brumbies in Fiji. So Scotty Farber is coaching the Brumbies. It's the first Brumbies team ever to play in Fiji. And then the Rebels up against the Reds. But uh, it's oh, look, an mm. exciting time for the Western Force women. And I'd be really interested to see. I know they've picked some of their, their new imports are all going to be playing. So that'll yep. be a real good contest. And I think that the Waratahs uh, women will be in for a bit of a shock based on. Yep. So Matt Hodgson's done a great job with the women and uh, I think that'll be well worth watching on Friday night the Western Force women up against the Waratahs yep and then- I'm, I'll back the girls in on that one mate I reckon they've prepared well they've uh, had a good couple of trial hit outs they've got a good mix on the on the team sheet there um, so yeah I wouldn't be surprised if they get the chocolates against the yeah. Waratahs and how, an good upset. With, how good would that be for them to, to knock off the Waratahs that'd be great mm. then turning to local rugby in WA, uh, the season kicked off last week. Interesting results early on. So Calum under 16, Southern Lions 11, Wanneroo 29, Soaks 20, Basie 13, Joodle up 10. And then the big blowout was Cottesloe 46 against Nedlands 14, which is probably why Heath Tessman has mm. decided to go and change his polo shirt. And then the Stan Sport game, UWA 31 defeated Wests 19. So mm. some, some pretty tight ones there, apart from really the Cotton Eddies game. 
Yeah, and I, but oh, geez, I was disappointed with West on the weekend, Mickey. Yeah, I, God, yeah. They they were dreadful. The the amount of handling errors and just sloppiness at the forward pack time. That game I, was I, frustrating. I, they they each team would do two phases, and then the other team would get the ball, and they do two phases. And the other team yeah. would do two phases. It was shocking. Yeah, but the uni pack completely dominated West at scrum time and and line out time. Like, how how underrated is Jack Bromley at line out time? Seriously, yeah, like yeah. you're talking about. Um, depth at locks like Jack Bromley's been terrific and Charlie Connolly and uh, Marcus good. Cutler Charlie Fantastic. Connolly terrific try on the weekend try the, in try the year in and away to back left him in his in his dust <laughs> that'll be that'll be going YouTube all around the oh, world yeah. at the moment and yep. um, just a shout out to big Charlie too because his brother his brother-in-law obviously uh, Vander Fly he's his brother-in-law who's the flanker for Ireland um, oh, okay. so his fi- yeah his fiance is um, that's her brother Yep. So Charlie's related to, well, going to be related to him. So yeah, big shout out to um, big Charlie and my brother-in-law and yeah. uh, Julie, his fiance. So yep. yeah, terrific. But um, yeah, there's no really surprises there with Calamunda getting up over the lines and um, you know Wanneroo beating Soaks. Probably I expected that because um, you know Wanneroo got a pretty settled outfit there, and they've got um, guys like Grayson Makara who was at West at the back end of last year going back to Wanneroo and. Uh, the yep. uh, Luke Callan playing there and all the rest of it. So, Wanneroo will be thereabouts during the year. And um, I think Junalup will be there. You know, they'll be one of those teams, Junalup, that'll knock off some of the bigger clubs across the season as well. So, for the Basie to get up over them first round is a good start for Basie, who are my short favourites for the comp this year. Yeah, yeah. As you I know, was, Mick. I know that, and we're keeping <laughs> that written down. And so this week, uh, UWA up against the Rudogs, Southern Lions against Junalup. Perth against Pally, Cot versus Kalamanda. Uh, Sykes have got the bye, and the stand game this week is Netherlands versus West. So the oh, two teams geez, I hope, I hope, coming off I hope they give you something decent <laughs> yeah. to call those two after last week. Yeah, I know. But the West lineup, you're right. We, we mentioned that during the game. They That was just, uh, it was woeful. It was woeful. Oh, it was so all, a bit, all over the shop. Bit, yeah. But I think it was very much, game, it looked like it looked like the first game of the season for, for yeah. both those teams. So uh, yeah. but we'll yeah. wait and see. And all those games at 3.35 on Saturday. We're talking club rugby, Mickey. It's the uh, the grand final this weekend here in Darwin. The uh, the Casarina Cougars playing the Southern Districts Crocodiles in the in the big grand final in Darwin, mate. This Saturday night. Fantastic. What time's that on? Uh seven thirty p.m. Darwin time, mate. So and it's going to be. Is it a bit sticky up there? Is it a bit sticky for rugby, or is it? It's very comfortable. Very <laughs> sticky, mate. Very sticky. Very yeah, sticky. Who's who's your tip? I'm going for the Crocodiles. No, nah, the Cougars. The Cougars are the favourite, I believe. Yeah. Are they? Okay, I'll back yeah. the underdog. I'll back the underdog. Yeah. That takes us to the mailbag, and in the big news, Scott Robinson finally has been appointed the All Blacks coach, which will take. Well, that place. was a, that was a surprise, Mick. <laughs> After the Re World Cup, but now apparently, Ian Foster's come out saying that if New Zealand wins the World Cup, he deserves to keep his job. So it's a bit ugly. And apparently, oh, no. the, the New Zealand Rugby Union they announced that Scott Robinson was the coach before they'd actually told Ian Foster. So, oh, no. which, is, which is not, which is who not was in great. charge? Who was in charge of the comms? Oh, I don't know, but that's that's pretty ordinary. That's the rumor floating around, and if that's right, that's pretty ordinary. And then in WA, uh, again, as Coops mentioned, there's a new CEO, so replacing Nathan Charles. Simon Taylor is his name. Uh, he's rooted in rugby, spent more than a decade working with the Queensland Rugby Unit at club, regional, and statewide community levels. 
uh, also a former Netball WA Chief Executive and held a similar position with Swimming WA, and he starts on April 26. So I'm sure Rugby WA will be happy to have that position locked away, and he seems like a, a good... Yeah, yeah, and I know Simon pretty well. He'll he'll do a good job. Um, you'll have no allegiances to any club, so we ought to be the neutral party there, make very clear, concise decisions, got good business acumen, and I think he'll get on pretty well with uh, big Johnny Wellborn, the, uh, the Prez. Yeah. No, so it's, it's good. So welcome to him. Starts on April 26th. And then just in a sign how serious women's rugby is being taken, which is great news. World Rugby is funding an Australian landmark study to investigate the cause and impact of breast injuries sustained during matches. So it's being led by a lady called Deidre McGee. Uh, she's a breast injuries expert and a professor down at the University of Wollongong. They did a four-year study uh, in 2019 investigating Breast injuries across women's contact sport. It found that nearly half of the players in the AFL, Rugby League and Rugby Union had sustained a breast injury, but only 10% had actually reported it. And uh, two in five of those said the injury had affected their their performance. So it's uh, part of World Rugby's commitment to make the game more accessible and base player welfare decisions on evidence. So it's great because the women, yeah, they've really, as, as there was a great quote by one of the players said, they're not small men they're they're actually they're different so it's great that now some studies are being done to make it safe and yeah get some answers for the women about those injuries yeah no it's great mate i think the more research and the better we have an an understanding of what causes injuries is the better it's all good and then uh suliasi vunavalu he's on the cusp apparently of signing a two-year extension with rugby australia queensland that'll make him stay in australia through to the british and irish Lions series so he was signed on a huge two-year deal worth upwards of seven hundred grand, but he took a pay cut. He signed a one-year, uh, three hundred thousand dollar extension for this year's World Cup. Didn't make the spring tour squad. Didn't feature in Dave Rennie's forty-four man Wallabies January training squad. But apparently Eddie Jones sees something in him, so it looks like he's he's going to sign on the dotted line. And the Reds are still on the Reds. They're opening to re-signing James O'Connor, but Rugby mm-hmm. Australia unlikely to offer him a top-up. And I saw on the socials that he be keen. O'Connor said he'd be keen to stay on and help develop Tom Liner, which is great, but maybe give him a coaching or mentor gig and free up a playing spot for another youngster as opposed to, if they don't really want him as a player, to uh, get him on. So I think he's obviously got a wealth of experience for someone like him to yeah. you know, to take Tom Liner under his wing and another young number 10, I think, would mm. be uh, yeah certainly worth worth the money. Yeah, and absolutely. Then, and, then, and I saw a, a, a something come out. It was a... Um, a little stop interview at, at the airport with the president of World Rugby. And uh, and he said that they're looking at a new competition between the Six Nations teams and the Rugby Championship teams. And he said that they're looking at a new Nations Cup that involves all countries of different levels. But isn't that the World Cup? Isn't that what we've got the World Cup for? Yeah. Is he talking about something like they do for the Test match is with cricket? We've yeah, got not- like a, a world sort of ladder everyone has to play everyone across that period. Because, like, there's a lot of test matches in any one calendar year. So what's different to the Southern Hemisphere, Northern Hemisphere trips that go on already? Yeah, okay. How is that any difference? Yeah, I don't know. It all seems... So, be- you, so you do exactly what you're doing now, except you make it a competition. You call it something, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but basically, yeah, that's that's yeah. about it. A new trophy for them. And then uh, congratulations to Fleti Kaitu'u here in his 50th cap last weekend so he's one behind heath testman so it wouldn't surprise me oh if testman, testman pulls the boots back on maybe he's down at his club training tonight or doing a bit of extra <laughs> he might be doing a bit of extra fitness just making himself available behind him because i remember when when damien o'donnell down at university was ready to break the university um, club 
games record. Michael Hughes, who held it, kept coming back and playing games to make sure O'Donnell didn't take him. So it's the sort of thing that Heath Testman would do to uh, just maintain his position above Kaitu on the He's probably got Simon Cron just catching up with him online tonight, I reckon, (laughs) just telling him about his training regime and how he's been practising his throws. Yeah, he's looking pretty good too, Tess. He's looking pretty good. And then finally, so last Monday marked six months to the day that the rugby wrap guided tour to the World Cup gets underway. 18 nights, seven cities, five games. There's only a few spots left on that tour. So if you are keen for a trip to to France with myself, Mitch and Tess, just go to rugbyworldcuptour.com. All the information is in there. But that promises to be a cracker and, and less than six months to go, Mitch. Yeah, very exciting, mate. Yeah, it's not too far away. You're going to have to start practicing your French soon, Mickey. Yeah. And uh, brush up on a few things. I know that a few of the tourists are getting very excited at the moment. Yeah. There's a little Facebook page that's been created. And I know that you're doing a special guest appearance on Sunday. Yeah, mate. Catch up with some of the Uh, tourists. Yep. Everyone's getting very excited. It's good. uh, Good It'll be a great trip. So, rugbyworldcuptour.com if you are keen to jump on board. Um, But, mate, that'll do us. Thanks, Mitch. Good to see you. That's good, mate. No, good to catch up. That was uh, good to catch up with Coops tonight. And, um, yeah, there's plenty on this yeah, weekend. Certainly. So enjoy it all. And a reminder, Netties versus Wests is the Stan Sport game, 3.30 Saturday, and the Western Force at 10.35 on Sunday, both live exclusive to Stan Sport. Well, as I said, that'll do us. Thanks for joining us and look forward to your company next time on The Rugby Wrap. <laughs>